Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. to the next installment of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We have a super, super exciting episode for you today. One of my dental besties is joining us on top of this dental bestie. Um, her name is, I wish I had drum roll and sound effects. <laughs> Miranda go. Beeson. She is amazing. We love Miranda. And Miranda is, um, she's a dental hygienist extraordinaire in many different facets of dental hygiene, but one of her areas of expertise is DISC. Um, and Miranda's transitioned as well outside of clinical hygiene. And uh, DISC is one of the things that's kind of like, you know, she's really specialized in that and she's really integrated that into her other roles in, in dental dentistry outside of clinical hygiene. So I am super excited to get to chat with Miranda Beeson about all of the amazing things that she's going to share with us. No, it's really hey guys, I'm super excited to be here. Because we talk about Miranda like in most episodes. We should get Miranda on. So finally, we've done it. But Miranda, can we, before we start talking about this, can we go back to Miranda's just graduated high school? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you, like, come into deciding that you're going to do hygiene? Like, was it something that you fell into, something you'd always wanted to do? How did you get that? Well, my uncle was a dentist. And so being very close to my family, I was always very familiar with that field. And obviously, we were in the office very regularly growing up. And so when I was in high school, my aunt said, you know, you really should think about dental hygiene. It's a great career to be able to be in the medical field, have good hours, also be a mom. Um, you know, she talked to me at the time about the fact that, you know, she said some hygienists can make as much money as some of the associate doctors. And I was like, I'm in. So <laughs> it was a combination of all the things that I knew I kind of liked about a career path, uh, achievement, opportunities, financial opportunities. And then I did want to have a family. So, you know, like most of us being able to balance that while still having a professional career. So I went ahead and looked into what that looked like and started that path. And I ended up at Old Dominion University, which is right here in my backyard, which I'm very lucky to have. It's a baccalaureate program. And so I was able to achieve that here locally. And then I actually did, um, they also have an accelerated master's program at Old Dominion. So you can be achieving your master's degree in dental hygiene while you're doing your undergraduate work. So I did take advantage of that opportunity as well. So in 2003, I graduated with my bachelor's in dental hygiene. And in 2004, I graduated with my master's in dental hygiene. And I did an emphasis in education and marketing, like not knowing exactly what I wanted to do with that because it was like a down the road thing. But I wanted to have it at that point in time when I was still very school focused. Yeah, that's pretty that's awesome. Cool. Yeah, it's like it's glad that it's a good thing that you're that you could kind of think outside the box then and think, yeah, what could I do with education and marketing like and outside of clinical already before you'd even 
made that clinical jump. So where did you go post-graduation from um, your degree in hygiene? So I did an externship with Philips Oral Healthcare with Sonicare. So I went out to Washington State, which for someone like myself, whose entire family is here in Virginia Beach and no one's ever really gone anywhere, it was a big undertaking. So my um, husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, was very encouraging. He's all about adventures and said, you got to do it. You got to do it. So I went and did an externship with them in their marketing department. And I really did have a lot of fun and I enjoyed the people that I met. So I thought, you know, why not give it a try? They had a position opening up um, for professional relations manager. So I went ahead and applied and went out for the interviews. And it was the most grueling, rigorous thing at a 20, you know, five year old. I don't even know how old I was at the time, 24, 25 years old. It just almost felt surreal. Um, and somehow I made it through those rounds and rounds of interviews and they saw some potential in me. So they took a chance and um, I became the manager of professional relations for Sonicare for, I was there for about a year and a half, two years uh, before transitioning back into the clinical world. Cause I did really want to do clinical hygiene longer. I'd only been doing it during that last year of my master's program after graduation. And I just missed it after a period of time. So I did go ahead and transition back into clinical while I was out there actually, which is where I got anesthesia certified because we weren't doing that in Virginia yet. And I said, well, let me go ahead and get that under my belt while I have the opportunity. And I was also introduced out there to restorative hygienists, just a much more advanced level of practice. And I worked with a couple of doctors that really valued their hygienists as colleagues. And I thought that was really cool. So I think I was really lucky to at a pretty young age in my dental career, be exposed to being respected in that way. And it kind of set the bar for what I looked for moving forward when I did trans transition back to Virginia. You know yeah. what I noticed too, when we talk to so many dental professionals who are leaders in the industry and doing things outside the box and, and really moving and shaking it up, the common denominator seems to be exposure early on to a higher level or a practitioner who really valued what you were doing or, or helped you see the potential in what you could do. Mm -hmm. So it just like it reigns supreme that mentorship is so integral for our profession, for any profession, but just to kind of help guide our, our next generation to the next level. Yeah, I agree completely. I can still vividly picture those first couple of years here before um, I transitioned when I was getting my master's program, working with some hygienists who had more experience behind them and being able to very openly reach out to them for feedback and advice and being welcomed in that way. I do hear stories, which makes me sad of, of newer hygienists who the senior hygienist is a little territorial or maybe not as welcoming or helpful. And, you know, we're all here to grow each other and grow the profession. So that always makes me really sad. I had some great resources for that. And then um, when I did transition and I was in Washington working as a hygienist, uh, there was a hygienist I work with. Her name was Amy. I wonder what she's doing now. But <laughs> Amy was a restorative hygienist and she worked uh, two days a week doing traditional hygiene services and two days a week doing restorative within the office. And even thinking back to getting my anesthesia certification there, the doctor was adamant, you know, as soon as I had my classes, she was like, you're getting everyone numb. And I was like, ah, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was, it was like a week, it was, of course, yeah. so I was kind of nervous. And she was just so supportive. And Amy was so supportive. And 
you know, they, they kind of held my hand through it, but also gave me the independence that I needed and confidence I needed to just go for it. Cause that can be scary. And when you've been doing it a long time, like we have now, it's hard to remember those first few patients that you're like, ah, and your hands are shaking and all the oh things. So it's just nice no, I, to have those people that back you up. <laughs> yeah. I remember the first time I gave, I gave it, and it was only an infiltration. It wasn't even a block, but the first time right. I gave it to an actual patient after being certified, I did it. I got through it. She was fine. And then when I went to pick up my instruments and start working on her, my hands were like literally shaking. The adrenaline came later. Whenever my boss says to me, can you give that patient a block for me? Cause I'm running late. I'll do it. But I'm always like, I double check. Please make sure it worked. Yeah. I never felt like a hundred percent with my blocks either. It was like a 50, 50. Did I hit it? Did I not? Yeah. I don't know. I don't like it. But anyway, we digress like usual. Right, right, right. <laughs> As, As expected, As expected have, like, with people with really high eye personalities. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a, such a great segue into <laughs> I knew it coming into this today. I'm like, we're going to have trouble just staying on track. That's <laughs> What made you dive into learning about DISC? Like, what was your first exposure to it? Well, interestingly enough, when I was at Sonicare, we did we did Myers-Briggs there yeah. as part of our orientation. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever because it was my first exposure to it. And it was like someone had just looked inside of my soul and figured out who I was. And I thought that was really interesting. And my last practice prior to being in the location and office that I'm with now we did a lot of communication training. Most of our team building and uh, continuing education within that practice, because we were all pretty experienced clinical providers, focused more on the communication side of things. So we talked a lot about behavior styles and even getting hired there. I remember having to do assessments and then sitting down with the doctor and him talking about the assessment in terms of how I might fit into the practice or things that they might have been concerned about based on things that they, you know, I was a big risk taker, which I remember him saying, and I was like, am I like, okay. Um, so I would say at that practice, most of the fire was lit or the embers started burning to want to learn more and keep growing in that department. And the more that I learned about it and utilized it in practice and with my colleagues, you just start to see the response change so much and in your interpersonal communication and and the way that you're able to communicate with patients and create change. So it just kind of continued to feed that more and more and more. So over time, it's just something that it interests me on every capacity. It's like a behavioral science. I always say being a dental hygienist every single hour, you're having to adapt behaviorally. Yeah. And you're having to do that to whatever walks in the door and you have no idea, you know, what's coming. Even a patient you you've seen consistently for five years could be different today than they were the last time they came in based on their environmental you know, effects prior to entering the office. So it's just to me a huge behavioral experiment being a dental hygienist. <laughs> and the more tools that you can have to navigate that, just the better and more confident I felt as a, as a clinician and as a teammate for my colleagues. So it just, I don't see it. it's a win win, I think for everybody. Yeah. Can you just explain? Sorry. I'm sorry, Tabitha. Are you going listen it? Can you explain for people who don't or not familiar with DISC what exactly it is and, and, and even just maybe a little bit about like Myers-Briggs that you had just mentioned, because some people don't have a frame of reference for this. Sure. 
So I'm not as familiar with Myers-Briggs from a standpoint of really breaking it down, but it's a very similar concept in that, you know, however long ago, 100 years ago, I don't even remember when they initially kind of discovered that there's basically four general personality styles that people encompass, you know, pretty strongly one over another. Some people have combination personality styles that are more dominant, but for the most part, we each kind of have one that is our natural innate way of being. So D being um, very direct or decisive person, someone who's pretty fast paced and task oriented. And I is someone who's very social and outgoing. Somebody who's very much a people person. They tend to be more feelings based and also fast paced. Also, again, this is why I knew because I'm a D, but my I is right underneath my D. It's very high as well. So I think we all kind of share those components, the three of us. Yeah. So S's tend to be very loyal, very harmonious. Um, S is going to be one of those teammates that is it work, you know, works for the team for a really long time. I always think of a couple of front office manager style personalities that I've worked with over the years who they're just very loyal to the practice and to the team and they've been there forever and they're not going anywhere, but they also just don't like to rock the boat. So they're those people that kind of keep that calm amongst the storm. And then C's tend to be your very analytical, very precise, critical thinkers. Um, Again, S's and C's function at a little slower pace. So those of us that are the D's and I's have to balance that out. Are also slower to process. So everyone kind of falls primarily into one of those. And it does break down further and become more complex when you look deeper into what drives you and motivates you and things like that. But the basic concept is there's generally four styles of people. And what's really cool is once you start to be able to identify them, everything you do in life, you're like, oh, D. You're just like labeling people. People just walk around in the universe, a little letter like floating over their head. (laughs) I'm looking at them. I found it really interesting when I first started learning about this and I did a test, you know, they got us to take it. And I remember saying, oh, D's, they're such dicks. Excuse my language. Yes, (laughs) what everybody says. I actually have a placard that my team got me that calls me Richard Stickler. Because I am Dick Stickler, because it's part of my style, and I find it humorous. And every now and then I put it out on my desk when I know I'm probably about to bring out my Richard. (laughs) And I'm a strong D. And I was like, what the hell? (laughs) But you can be direct and polite. They can go together. I was like, oh, wow. Wow, I am that person. (laughs) When I get stressed out, the polite side of my directness just goes away. There is no polite. It's just very sharp and to the point and no feelings attached. Yep. It can be so misperceived too, but it's so, you know, and I know we'll talk about this a little bit because obviously there's the patient communication aspect of understanding disc, but then there's just the interpersonal side as well and being able to utilize that and understand each other and understand yourself is super important. I have always looked at I never realized, I never put a label on it, but I was always bossy, maybe is the best word for it. Uh, When I was younger, when I didn't have as strong of control over it, I was bus monitor. I was hall monitor. I was, you know, running for president of the SCA, like all those leadership things that really fall into that personality style without really knowing that, that these things even existed. It's just naturally 
where I always fell in life, sports teams, you know, always, you know, really stepping up to try to be the leader. So it is innate. Once you're about 13 years old, it's kind of set in stone, but I can see to my kids, even from probably four or five years old, I was able to start seeing kind of what their tendencies were, which even helps in communicating with them. But it is, it is hard because there's negative stereotypes for kind of each one. Yeah. You know, D's people always like exactly like you said, they're like D stands for you know what. And it's like not always. Eyes can be perceived negatively as very aloof, you know, really talkative or um, self concerned versus other concerned. But that doesn't mean all eyes are that way all the time. Yeah. You know, S's can seem very passive or meek, which can be perceived as weak to some people. Um, which again, they also aren't, it's not all S's are like that. It's also just the perception in the moment. There's a lot of strengths to S's. They really tie and, and bind trust pretty strongly. And then C's can, it's that analysis, analysis paralysis. You know, those of us that are more fast paced can get very frustrated because it's like, they just can't make a decision to save their life, you know? So there's those <laughs> negative connotations to every style. And when you understand them and know that might be just your perception and not truly, it's just because it's such a conflict with your own personality style. And that doesn't mean that, that they're bad or that any one is better than another. It just, everyone's comprised of their own unique traits. And we say that all the time in the office too. If you want to be a leader within the office, we have team leads for all of our departments. They all have different personality styles. You don't have to be a D to be in leadership. Um, we have an I in leadership and a S in leadership and a combination in leadership. So everyone, everyone has the opportunity to really fulfill any role. It's just a matter of understanding it and, and how to understand other people. Yeah. I've definitely found it useful um, when going for job interviews for quickly sizing up the employer and yeah. thinking, you know, and I've sat in interviews and thought, Everything looks fine, but I can tell right now we're going to have a personality clash. Yes. Like, you're going to be someone that annoys the crap out of me and I'm probably going to annoy the crap out of you just equally like because you are that really slow, like you're going to drive me insane yes. too fast for this. It's not going to – and I'm going to drive you insane because I'm moving at a pace that you don't like. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And how nice to be able to recognise that early on and then yeah. discern like – does everything else outweigh that enough that I can modify and I can yeah. work with this? Or is this just good enough? And that's going to push me over the edge and you know, yeah. it's going to go, it's going to go sour and vice versa. Like in the role that I'm in now, like I hire, I hire people for the team and we do this assessment on every candidate that reaches that kind of final point of being able to be considered for the role, not only because we want to, learn a little bit more about who they are and how they're going to, but how do you, which, which doctor team do you, yeah. do you put them with, right? Which hygienist is going to be a, a good partner hygienist for them. If you have a couple of strong eye hygienists in, in one area, you may want to mix someone in who has some S or D or C tendencies so that patients have an alternative. If they don't like that really chatty banter, you always hear about patients say, I don't understand why my hygienist talks to me the whole time I'm working in her mouth. Right. And then you have other patients who love the fact that they get to chat and build a relationship with their hygienist. So even from the hiring standpoint, it's a really great way to see is someone going to integrate with the team and where should they be on the team and, 
and you know how are they going to fit in but i agree with you as well when i'm looking for leadership but that's because we're we're d's and we're kind of in control of our own destiny right so <laughs> you're going to be looking for what's you know what's in it for me and intentionally deciding is this going to be a benefit for you and is it going to be a benefit for me so having that in your back pocket is super helpful yeah. Uh, what I found hard with disc though is I find I can size up a patient pretty quickly. I can size up my workmates pretty quickly. But even though at home in my family life, I know we've got this and I technically know at the back of my brain how I should maneuver. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a different thing when you have to use like, and these skills are the so brain comes in. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's like, you know it, but you just can't pull the trigger and utilize yeah. it the way you should, because you know, your emotions, like you said, are taking they're reigning Supreme. And it's so funny because I say this all the time. And then I feel like a fraud because I don't always follow my own advice, but it's like, you never, when emotions are high intelligence is low and you never make a smart right. decision when you're emotional, but there's still times where I'm like freaking yeah. out and trying to decide something at the same time. And like, so that's just I'm called being a human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're imperfect. We're, we're not allowed to do that. Right. No, right. That's not acceptable. I say you're all the time and I joke and I tell my husband this too, but I've been with my husband for 20 plus years, 24 years. I don't even know. I know Melissa, you and I talk about this all the time. High school. I mean, it's, it's been forever. And I, could not exactly pinpoint his disc. He's taken the assessment. And even after taking it, I'm like, I don't know. About <laughs> like, who am I to try to say that, like who he is, right? But it's so funny. I think those people that are closest to you, because you see all elements of their personality, yes. it's so hard to differentiate exactly what's going on. And you're, I'm a different person at home with them than right. I am in the workplace. And my husband has a strong D personality component as well. And so it is interesting how we kind of like battle who's going to be in charge, but I tend to follow more traditional home life values and I'm fine with deferring and saying like, no, no, no. Like you take the lead. Like, you know, I, I know it's not the feminist way of things, but I'm very traditional to like, he's the head of our household. So I'm okay with taking a more submissive role in that, in that dynamic where in the workplace, I'm, I'm definitely very much like, I want to be in charge of my operatory when I was a clinician, all of my things. And this is my space. And, you know, you don't, don't disrupt what I'm doing here. And then the same thing in a, in a managerial or leadership role. I yeah. love being responsible for the outcome. Yeah. The challenge of that. I think we I all can totally Yeah. Like we have a work personality and a home personality. Yeah. I know that like in my social life, I'm much more like mucking around. And but when I come yeah. to work, I'm a much more serious person. Yeah. You know, yes. when the patient walks in, I'll, I'll be whoever they need me to be. But right. yep. behind the scenes, I'm like, why was this not perfect? I'm going to lose my shit. Well, and we have a natural and an adapted style. So, yeah. you know, when you take certain assessments for DISC, they'll provide insight to that. You have a natural yeah. style and you have an adapted style. And my, uh, my DI are almost paralleled when I'm in my natural style. So like you said, Tabitha, like I love to have a good time and I'm very social and I enjoy hanging out and, and telling stories and laughing and having a good time. But my adapted style in the workplace, 
my C comes up a little bit. I'm a little bit more detail oriented than I would be in normal life. My I comes down a little bit. I don't have quite as much of that social aspect. It's still high above the energy line, but it does make a transition to where my D stands out a bit more. And then I do have some of that detail oriented side that comes into play yeah. where, and if you, again, I keep bringing my poor husband into the conversation, but if you asked him if he thought I was organized or detail oriented at home, no, there's no process. There's no system for any of it. It's just like, what's happening today? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just, that's so funny. You and I are like so the same when it comes to that. Yeah. It's no, it's my husband's like, how do you organize things in your work life? Like, how does it work? <laughs> my okay. gosh, we just had this same exact conversation. I just gave a presentation in Ohio this past weekend and he came with me and we road tripped and it was super fun. Like we, we made working fun and it was great. But in true Melissa style, I always forget one thing when I leave. <laughs> And I forgot all of my makeup brushes and my mascara. So we're running around trying to find a target the night before. And he's like, <laughs> You're like I, I can't do this function. without my eyes on. He's like, how do you even function? He's like, I don't know how you go to all of these events and, and have your shit together. Excuse oh, see, my thing is if I leave something in a hotel, it's like I'm leaving crumbs everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Tabitha was here. <laughs> Never pack up and leave with everything I own. I always leave something behind. And I'm like a super planner when it comes to like work related things and being ahead of the game and always looking for the what ifs and having a plan for it, a backup plan. And then when it comes to like, we could be going on vacation in three days and I don't even know what I'm wearing and I haven't packed like the kids suitcases and it's like, it's fine. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. We'll just cram the night before. We'll just shove everything in our bags. But for everything else in life, I'm, I'm much more of a planner, but when it comes to home life and maybe it's because it's our like safe space guys, maybe we put so much, yeah. you know, effort and concentration into that at the workplace because we're all hyper achievers, the three of us. We have to be, you know, on our game. Then we get home and it's just kind of like, ah, yeah, yeah. We can't be at that level. But then it's funny because it's like sometimes I catch a little flack from my family because they see me that way in my professional life, and they're like, "How come you don't show up like that for us?" And right, 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 right. When the guilt comes in, you know, I'm like, I'm the most terrible wife and mother ever. You know, it's (laughs) also normal human. Yes. <laughs> this is turning into more of a therapy session for me. Therapy is good. <laughs> are, I'm always having texts with my parent, with my friends. I'm like, yeah, mum failed today. Got everything happening at work, but I sent my kid with a hot cross bun as their lunch. <laughs> <laughs> somebody, somebody, and I can't even remember where I heard it from, but somebody explained as we, as we get into the, you know, working mom guilt, which I'm sure a lot of people that listen to your podcast can relate to is uh, having your juggling balls, right? And some yeah. of them are glass and some of them are plastic. And it's okay if occasionally you drop a ball, just let it be a plastic one, you yeah. know? Yeah. So yeah. I feel like if I didn't get their favorite cheese sticks, I got the wrong brand at the store or something, you know, oh my gosh, I should know what cheese sticks my kids like. But in the real world there, that's a plastic ball. We're going to let that one fall. We're going to let it just roll away. There's no permanent damage done. Right. But, I don't think you know, the kids it's, will end up on the therapy couch about Sargento right. versus Kraft. Right. 
something that we all learn as we get older though to just let some things go like and it's hard yeah. to do I think maybe that's a depersonality trait too to you know yes. um, there's people that overthinks things when yeah. something go wrong and I'm always thinking about it and it will you know five years later I'm like I remember that time <laughs> <laughs> I had to let internally like just internalizing that but I think you know as we as I get older I get a little bit better with it and I think that's something that comes with age a little bit with you know oh, it really doesn't matter <laughs> yeah well so my that really brings old. in like that emotional intelligence component too you know, like you were saying, you can't like when your emotions are flooded, the intelligence goes out the window. And the deeper you get into all of this, because I started with this certification and then driving forces certification, which is more those motivators behind your personality style. And then it comes into emotional intelligence. And really, it's all of them combined that really kind of make up who we are. And I've really noticed um, in learning more over the years with emotional intelligence that when we what we call maturity and you say, you know, it doesn't, maturity doesn't mean age, yeah. right? So you can right. have a really, really mature 24 year old, or you could have a really immature 70 year old. Man. It's, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it all comes, I think, back to that emotional intelligence component. Yeah. And that's really when we say someone's mature or an old soul or whatever it may be, I think sometimes that's what ties in is just how self aware are you? How self regulatory are you and how well do you deal with other people and i think that with disc and like really understanding it it's almost like the cliff notes it's like the cheat sheet <laughs> for yeah. the for the relationship management side of emotional intelligence because even if you don't fully understand the relationship or the dynamic if you can at least recognize what that person's personality style is and know how do i talk to this type of person they're going to perceive you as being more mature or more relationship advanced in terms of that emotional intelligence component. Even if ultimately you're not quite there yet, you can almost kind of fake it by knowing how to speak their language. So I love you that point you just sorry, made because, um, oh, sorry, Tab. Um, I love that point because I think back to less mental and age maturity for me as a clinician and how like if a patient came in pissed off or, you know, just kind of aggressive or sharp and, and created this like negative vibration in my operatory, I would immediately come up and meet them and be just yep. as like pissy. And it was like a pissing contest back and forth. Um, there's a lot of uh, not so nice words in this episode. Sorry, guys. There's a disclaimer. I know, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, the first 30 seconds we said please, dick. Now please, we're but anyway, well, I, I mean, I, you are the badass hygienist, yeah. so it's all totally appropriate. I guess it's, I guess it's to be expected. But like, I think I'm, I'm embarrassed of the way I behaved back then, but it's sure. also part of my journey, you know, too. Yeah. So it's like, I can't sit here and, and beat myself up for that. But I think emotional intelligence is such a big part of what we do, because if you don't understand the why behind someone's behavior, you're just going to default to be like, you're being a pain in my ass. You're yep. just making my day harder. My job's hard enough. I got doc this, front end this, you know, instruments that need to be cleaned. Like, And, and you're just like, I don't need you on top of it. However, 99% of the time, that person's coming in edgy because there's there's something going on inside their lives. Yeah. Like they, there might have been a bad anxiety experience they had, or you have no idea what they're dealing with. Like 
you know, and what they're bringing to that operatory. And if you can just meet them with kindness rather than like yeah. punching bag back and forth with their edginess, like it creates a totally different experience for both the patient and you as the clinician. But that's something that where emotional intelligence, like we don't do anywhere near enough with communications in dental hygiene school. No, no. And it's such a huge and that's such a primary. Yeah, it's a primary part of the role. <laughs> yeah. It's a primary right. part of the role. It's it really most is. of the role. <laughs> well, and truthfully, I think we do the opposite. And just as this is just through my own personal experience, and I'm not trying to say, you know, any program is bad or someone's not doing their part. But if we really think about what we do, we put people out into the world. And, and I was one of these people who you feel like you're we put someone out because we want them to be confident you're the expert, go be the expert. And when you give someone that permission to go be the expert, now you've kind of, you're, you're sitting on a pedestal, you yeah. put yourself there and you're, you're kind of looking down at everyone from your pedestal versus being encouraged to approach your patients as a partner and discovering right. their health and how to manage everything, which I think all of us have kind of learned over time. And you start to realize what works and what doesn't, but why wait six or seven years <laughs> of doing it wrong, right? Yeah. And learning what's what's not working and feeling burnt out or feeling like maybe this isn't for me or frustrated at the end of every day versus setting people up for success to go in and say like, Yes, you're you're an expert in your field. However, you're working to serve the community and you guys have to look at this together when you're approaching things cuz I definitely have experiences like you said Melissa where I I almost cringe when I think about the way that, you know, I communicated. Interestingly, I also made great connections. I actually just yesterday ran into a patient from my daughter is 11. It was when I was pregnant with her, so 11 12 years ago. And we ran into each other at the grocery store. Haven't seen each other. I haven't been at that practice pretty much since then. And she was like, Miranda, you used to be my hygienist. And I was Aww. like, Pam. <laughs> and it was like this really cool reunion, like in the dairy, you know, aisle. So it makes me, it made me feel good to know that even back then when I knew I was making not the best choices and didn't have the best communication strategies, I was still able to make connections. And some people can naturally do that better, right? Because we have that eye in our personality style where we're people, people, people who don't have that really high eye, you have to work at it a little bit more to make connections. Yeah. So if you don't have that and you're not able to build that bridge really naturally and you're coming in as a self-perceived expert where people should listen to me and I have this job to do and I have these boxes to check and then your patient doesn't just jump right in and help you check those boxes. And then it becomes combative. And we see it all the time in social forums. You you hear the rants and commentary from hygienists about this patient, this and this patient, that. And yes, some of the patients <laughs> are just challenging. <laughs> but a lot of times we played a role in that interaction. Absolutely. You know, there was a Absolutely. component of that that was our responsibility to change the dynamic. Yeah, I definitely found when I started going to courses about communication and learning the stuff that I didn't learn at uni and, and doing that, that I started to enjoy working more because I was getting better results with my patients. Mm -hmm. so like I was, I was able to use the DISC with motivational interviewing combined to really make that connection and get that change. 
And then when you've got success, when you're having like patients come back that are making changes that are doing their OHI, it really does make you feel like so, like, you know, when they do the work, you're like, yes, it's working. You know, you get the results or just even if you don't get the results, just having a patient that the appointment's going better and just having better communication. I found that my days were just so much less stressful when I was really concentrating on how I could improve my communication in each situation. Because I'm sure all of us have had the same experience where in the beginning, you just felt like no one listens to me. Why doesn't anyone try? Like every time this patient comes in, we talk about she needs to floss more. She's bleeding. She has gingivitis. Why doesn't she care? You know, and you get so frustrated and so burnt out. And that's why so many people, like you were just saying, Melissa, it's that, it's that burnout. And it hits you at like three, four years in where you're kind of like, am I even like, should I even be doing this? Do I even like this? Because you feel defeated all the time. But when you change that way of communication and your understanding, and I always kind of comment on some of the same things, but I love um, the book Outward Mindset by the Arbinger Institute, taking that mindset and shifting it off of, this is what I need to do today. This is what I'm here for. This is my agenda. And just flipping it around to serving that person that's with you, meeting them where they are. How can you help them today? And like you said, you never know, you never know their husband yelled at them as they were leaving the house or their baby had an explosive diaper and they had, you know, to change clothes really fast and they didn't want to be late because last time they were late and you guys yelled at them. And like, you just never know what frame a patient is looking through in that given moment or a colleague, you know, because this can be used interpersonally within the office as well. And, And that's a huge thing. Job satisfaction, you're with the people that you work with more than you're with your family, most, most people, and you have to enjoy that time. And, and it diminishes turnover because you have the ability to communicate with each other and understand each other in a different way. So it's patient based utilization for sure. But then there's just also your, your interpersonal communication that if you understand this better and use it within the office, it can make a big impact. Yeah, I learned a lot when I found out that I was a D and I didn't realize I was, um, that um, I realized that my sometimes my behavior definitely wasn't meant the way it was received. Mm -hmm. But because of my communication style, sometimes when I'm stressed or put into it, I can become very just work orientated and I don't care about the emotional side that much when I get into that mode. And I'm not thinking about all the little emotional things that go around with it. I'm just thinking about let's get the job done because I've become so job or task orientated. And like I want the job done, I want the task completed, and I want it done properly and done fast. And I realise that that can become quite um, abrasive to certain personality types who want the yeah. fluffs to happen. And whilst I find the fluff in those situations rather annoying, I've learned <laughs> that I sometimes actually just have to do it. Because that's how yes. I get that person moving. Yes. And that's how I get that person to then buy in and get the job done for me. <laughs> well, and even if you take away the like feelings versus thinking, because yes, 100%, I'm the yes. same way. And certainly in a leadership role, I have a lot. Most most of our clinical providers are S's and I's. They're very emotional beings. And I definitely struggle with that as well, but I have to take a breath and like hear the whole story and allow, cause that's important to them for the connection. Yeah. 
But even aside from that, even if you take like a D and a C who are both very task driven people and the feelings aren't a part of it, if you look at those really strong tendencies come out during stress. So same thing when you're a D, when you're stressed, it becomes more direct, more decisive, more commanding, more fast paced, more efficient. And then if you look at a C, there's not feelings in the process of decision-making for a C, they're very task and thought oriented as well. But when they're stressed, they're going to slow down even more because they're slower paced. And so even if they're not bringing feelings into it, there becomes that frustration of like, let's get these decisions done now. And they're going like, whoa, 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 this is moving too fast. I need to slow down even more now and really process through this and think through this and look for the red flags and make sure that we're, you know, right on course and precise. And so even when you don't have a feelings conflict, it can just be a pace conflict because everyone, when they get stressed, reverts to kind of like that most extreme version of whatever their style is. That's why when you have eyes in the chair as a patient, if they're nervous and that stress is high, they're going to be jibber jabbery and giggly. And they're really not hearing most of what we're saying to them. (laughs) You just completely explained why my daughter did not do well in softball. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> what is your daughter have you have you like guessed she's an s uh, i think she's an s for sure okay for sure and she could not like i you know and even when she needs to tell me something she's like and she has to gain her composure and get herself together and i'm like get to the point what is the problem you know so like we constantly are like or even when I was coaching her with softball, I'm like, you see the pitch, you know, it's good. You react, you swing the bat. And she's still thinking about it. And it's in the catcher's right. And it's right. <laughs> right? So, like, we had the worst situation. Like me coaching her and softball was like the worst thing we could have done. But um, it's just so funny because like she's and my husband and I are very like direct, you know? So yeah, there's, we just, we just actually had this huge ordeal last night in our house because she's like so stressed out about school and picking a college and all these different things and finances and scholarships and deadlines. And so she's like in this headspace and we're both like, why are you doing this? Why, why are you putting yourself into this? Like, here's what you need to do, you know? So this poor little thing's got these two D's coming at her and she's just right. like, She's like, I have to think it all through. I got to take my time. I got to make sure that everyone's going to. And then she's also taken into consideration you and dad and brother and friends, not just herself, where, you know, again, we might look a little bit more at like, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty intentional when it comes to like motivators. It's, it's kind of versus altruistic. I'm not as concerned about how it's going to affect others as I am, how it's going to affect myself. But if, you, if she has like a high altruism and she's a, a high S, she's going to be also putting into the mix all of her feelings around whatever her decision does to affect everyone else, which makes yeah, it that much harder to make a decision. Serial people yeah. pleaser. Big time people. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. I took a management role, um, I did some more DISC training. And one of my issues is, is uh, when they did some testing and they did, some, they sat down with me is that I will look at a problem and I look at how, what's the best solution for the business. And then I will just go for that. But I don't actually think about how that anyone personally feels about that, you know, and like, I would say, but we'll get over it. This is work. This is the best solution. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something I'm trying to learn that like, I also have to make people happy. 
Oh, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> this was the best solution. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is true. It is true. And when you think about the fact that all of, and when you're in a leadership role, the people that work for the company or within the practice, if you're a leader yeah. within the practice, yes, they care about the business in the end. It's what pays their bills. It's what yeah. they're there in support of. But, you know, how is that going to impact their day-to-day well-being yeah. and value and just get up in gumption for going in the office in the morning? You know, when you have yeah. those really strong feelers, which a lot of healthcare providers are, which is important. Yeah. It's health care. <laughs> you need people right. who are caring. Um, they have to be cared for also, and they yeah. have to feel good. They like you can logically as a D as a C, someone who tends to be more thought provoking, you can process through logically why this place is a good fit for me, why I'm going to get up today and go in and tackle this. But for those people, it's, it's just, does it feel right? Do I, when I pull in the parking lot in the morning and park my car, do I feel good about going to work today? Yeah. The rest of that stuff doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't come into play. And so that's where, when we talk about like the interpersonal side and, and hiring, you know, if I see someone's assessment where um, the assessments that we do provide kind of like work stressors, strengths and weaknesses, what's going to excite them, what's going to stress them. I read through that pretty, pretty diligently because I don't want someone to move into a role or a position within the company that's going to provide stress to their just natural way of being yeah. because they're not going to, they're not going to be happy for very long. And so then you're going to deal with, you know, turnover or internal conflict with other people on the team or with patients because they're not happy. Right. Yeah. The poo and rolls down. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, yeah, I think it's, it's challenging for those of us that do have more of that kind of business and logical mindset yeah. in an approach to a work related situation. And even now, I'm not saying I am perfect at this by any means. Like I transitioned into leadership a couple of years ago. I know my team appreciates that I have been on, you know, in the clinical department. I've worked chairside. I've worked at the front office in the business team. So I have that dynamic of being able to stand up for them during business decisions and know where everyone's coming from. But I still struggle with at times... uh, even knowing their personality styles, I'll have to pull up their assessments at times and go like, why am I having such a hard time, you know, getting something out of this person? Or why am I having such a hard time managing these two who can't seem to to work it out? And I'll just pull up their assessments and sit down and really read through them. And, and you, no matter how many times I've looked through them, there's little things that you pull out that you're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And so same thing with de-stressing two people are having a conflict within the office. First thing I do is pull out their assessments and give them to each other. <laughs> like, yes. like take a minute, learn your colleague and see if you can't understand them a little bit better and where they're coming from and see if you can't pick up on what might be triggering you or, you know, um, the, again, the assessments that we use, it's through TTI. And um, I think I, you guys have met Corey with yeah. custom yeah. dental solutions. So she's who I did all of my certifications through and we use their programs, but there's components within there, you know, how to communicate versus how not to communicate, how to motivate this person, um, you know, what is demotivating to this person. 
And we have made little cheat sheets for everyone within the office. Everyone in the operatory has a little cheat sheet that like, if I have a D, say this, not that. If I have an I, you know, say this, not that. Right. And we work it into our new patient call mm -hmm. so that whoever's taking the new patient call tries to disseminate right off the jump, kind of maybe who they are. So when the clinician gets the patient, when they come into the practice, they already know, okay, I have a D, I need to be running on time. I need to not be, you know, chatting for too long, just enough to keep them involved in the conversation because they want to be in charge. Um, if it's a C, like I need to have my, my details ready. I need to make sure if you answer a question, it's the right answer or it's a, I don't know, but I will get back to you with the right information. You know, if you know that the second you meet them, they already are like, this is where I'm supposed to be. So yeah. it improves your case acceptance. It improves your, you know, OHI behavioral management, them kind of taking ownership of their own health. And in the end, it improves your internal referrals and internal marketing because they're going to tell everyone they know, like, oh my gosh, you have to go to my dentist. Like I've never felt more comfortable anywhere I've ever gone. They listen to me. They know me. They understand me. And their friend could be a completely different personality style, but they should have the same experience same, because you yeah. know that style as well. Yeah. Right, right. Absolutely. <clears throat> Meet them where they are. Take them where they need to be. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Motivators before. Could you explain that a little bit more to the listeners when you were talking about personalities and then there's motivators to that? Sure. So DISC is kind of the just generalization, right? But obviously I'm a D, you're a D, Melissa, you're a D, but we're all different. Yeah. So um, there's also motivating factors or driving forces behind all of that. And so you can be you know, intellectually driven or instinctive. So um, people who are intellectually, intellectually driven, like base most of their motivations and decisions off of like information. Like the best example that um, I was given that I, it really resonated with me was you go to a conference, a dental conference and like, for this next three hours, they're talking about an infection control. And we've been doing hygiene for 20 years. We're probably not going to go listen to infection control, although it is very important. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so down the hall at the convention center is like a beekeepers convention. And this person who's highly intellectual, who loves gaining new information and is motivated off of that is going to be like, you know, I might go see what this is all about. Because like, I know nothing about like the bee community, this is cool. And they go down the hall to absorb some new information and learn something new and drive off of that. Where someone who's instinctive, like I don't, I'm very instinctive versus intellectual. Like I don't, I don't need to be fed constantly like new information. I'm very like, this, this has worked. How can we like modify what's already worked and I already know like how to do it. I don't want to do like, this is how we've always done it. So let's stay on this course, but I'm going to just use information that I basically, you know, have already experienced anecdotally or whatever it may be. And then you have people who are resourceful or selfless. So if you're highly resourceful, you're very concerned about the time that you're utilizing, the resources that you're utilizing, how much is it going to cost? Say you're, you're planning a party. You're going to be so organized about each little penny and each little thing. And yes, I want it to look nice, but not at the cost of going over budget or taking too long, that kind of thing. Where someone who's selfless, they're going to get the project done and they're going to get it done really, really well, but it might not stay within budget. 
it might take them a little bit longer. <laughs> I see you guys raising your hands. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> like it, you're going to get it done and it's going to be good, but you're not as concerned about how you're utilizing those resources along the way. Um, you have someone who's very altruistic versus someone who's intentional. So altruism, you know, I always say like you're, you're giving for the sake of getting nothing in return, right? So people who are very, I, I almost envy people who are like this because I don't have a lot of this naturally. Um, just you're always willing to, to give, you know, you see that person on the, on the corner who's struggling and like, you can't resist reaching your hand out the window and <laughs> giving them cash or giving them your apple for lunch or whatever it may be. Um, versus someone who is more intentional. You know, what am I going to get out of this situation, right? And then, um, let's see. So, oh, commanding and collaborative. I'm like 100% commanding. <laughs> it's like almost humorous. <laughs> but yeah, again, I was Hall Patrol. I was Bus Patrol. I was the president. <laughs> I've always been apparently 100% commanding. <laughs> Uh, being collaborative. Because I know I have the tendency to, even when I, I walk into a situation, I think, I'm not going to volunteer. I'm not going to take over. I'm going <laughs> to sit back. I'm not going to do this. And then 10 minutes later, I've got seven projects and I'm bossing everyone around. Yep. And like yep. I'm like, why? Why? I do it. I always say it's like going to the going to theme parks. I love theme parks. We have a Little couple lot. here and we go to Disney and stuff a lot. And I always say I'm on vacation. I'm not going to be in charge today. Like, I don't care what, which, which way we go on the map. I don't care what ride we go to first. I really honestly don't. But when no one else picks up the map and tells me where to go, I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to tell everyone where to go. (laughs) Even going into it, knowing like, I'm not going to do that today. I used to time myself in conversations in college when, um, the instructors would like try to get interaction from students. I would say like, no, Miranda, you just talked, like give yourself a five minute break, let someone else have it. But then no one else speaks up. So I'm like, I'm back in. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. Here we are literally in like all different places of the universe doing the same exact thing. Right? Yes. Like, yes. It's just so funny. I'm working. I'm trying to work. On, I'm, I'm not doing very well, to be honest, but yeah, I do know that I have the, the ability to just be like, fine, I'm taking over because I feel like it's not going in control and I can't handle it. So I'm now going to make it in my control. <laughs> what do you have there, Melissa? My book, the Emotional, Emotional Intelligence. Intelligence, a practical like guide it. to self-knowledge, managing your emotions and understanding others. <laughs> like I'm that hey, information junkie that you were talking about before. I, yes, I believe that. Things. You are you know, every then, episode. Melissa's like, I've got a book on that. <laughs> I have my, I brought my books with me to Ohio and I have them all on the presentation table. I'm like, this is a great book to read. That's a great book to read. Go to Audible, listen to them while you're driving to work. <laughs> uh, do you want to hear something funny though? I was at a course on the weekend presenting and um, someone said to me, oh, I read the book you guys recommended in the last podcast. I really enjoyed it. So there you go. Wow, see? It's working. Well, I love I love an audiobook and a podcast. I'm like, that's all I listen to when I'm driving. Yeah. And I have plenty of books too that once I start listening to them, if I know it's like a good one, I have to buy it because I want to market oh, it. I want to ear, you know, dog yeah. ear pages, all the things. Yeah. 
But mine isn't from the standpoint of just that intellectual drive. For me, I think mine's more on that intentional end because I'm very intentional, like like 80, 90% intentional. So for me, I think it's more like this book is going to benefit me. (laughs) Like I'm going to get something out of this, which ultimately is going to benefit someone else, right? Because it's usually a leadership book or communication book or um, one I'm reading right now. If your listeners want another book to read is called Thanks for the Feedback. And it's literally all about how to receive feedback and what are our trigger points when receiving feedback and why do some of us react a certain way to certain types of feedback versus other feedback. And so it really steps aside from just innately who we are, because every single person, regardless of your personality style, tends to struggle with receiving feedback and not to get off track, but there's like three, there's three different avenues. There's evaluation, coaching, and appreciation. Those are the three different types of feedback you tend to get. And a lot of times you're giving someone coaching feedback or you're receiving coaching feedback but you immediately displace it into evaluation and then you get defensive and take it personally. And someone who's a C who their biggest fear is criticism of their work. They're going to always take that coaching feedback as evaluation. My son who is 12 is he's been a C for as long as he's been born. Like I've just always known it. And even when he was little, he would say, I'm a C. So I'm da, 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 da. Cause we talk about it (laughs) at home, but I, he plays golf and I don't have to say anything about a golf match. Like if there's a hole that like did not go well or whatever else, like I provide him zero feedback, whether it be like accolade coaching or (laughs) evaluation, none of it, because he is so hypercritical to that. And he's already in his head doing it so much that I, there's nothing that I need to say or can say now later you know, I can come to him with something, but in that moment, mm-mm. so it's a really cool book and it's helped me a lot because yeah. nobody, nobody enjoys hearing the things that maybe like didn't go well or that you're not doing well, or um, even if it is from a standpoint of, of help and care and concern, it just doesn't always feel that way when it comes in. And it talks to you a lot about just kind of figuring out why, like, what is it right. within yourself that's uh, you know pre- that. preventing you? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. good. It's really yeah. good. It's one that I listened, started listening to, and then I had to order it. So I needed it in that, if you think about that from like a clinical hygienist perspective, so that happens to us when you see a patient and then you see that patient going into the other hygienist column and they want like, you know, Debbie only, and they're yep. never seeing you again. And you, you're like, well, what the hell did I do wrong? How come what, you know, or we just get defensive and like, well, that person's a beep, beep, beep. And that's why, or, or that patient's a Karen and that's why they're, you know what I'm saying? So we, we, we uh, deflect that, you know, because we just look at it as an attack. And I think we do that. I know I've done that too. Even when, like I mentioned earlier, having that patient who had that like negative energy coming into my operatory, I took that as an attack against me personally, right? or like as a baby hygienist, when they're like, I don't like this and I don't like you. And yeah. like, there were times I'm sitting there in the operatory, you know, working on a patient and I'm like so disgusted by their, their energy. And I have to be so physically close to them right now. And I'm just like, this sucks, you know, as I'm working yeah. on a patient, I'm like, this is horrible. And in reality, they're like, giving you feedback. Like right. them saying that is feedback. And so if you can be open to, I really, I really want to be able to serve you better. Is there something that you would prefer me to do differently when you're here at your visits? 
like, let's talk about that. Ver and yeah. instead of immediately assuming like, Ugh, they're just the worst. And like, I'm amazing. So I don't know why they wouldn't want to be. <laughs> right, right. So Marina and I same breath, like a patient's taking, okay. We say all the time, people who say like, oh, my hygienist always yells at me about not flossing my teeth. When we all know we don't yell at anyone. No one yells at their patients, right, but they take it that way, right? Yeah. You may think you're coaching them into wanting to heal their gum disease, give them other options, talk to them about things they could be doing better because you just assume they want that information in that way. And so you think you're coaching them, but all they're hearing is shame and evaluation. Yeah, They're just hearing like, I failed, got it. I failed. Okay, got it. Like I already knew I was failing before I came in because every day when I don't pick it up, I know I'm failing. When I don't pick right. up the floss, like, got right. it, I failed. And now I just get to come in and listen to you tell me that I failed. Great. I love it. Let's do awesome. this again Can't in six wait. Months. Can't wait. And then I have to pay for that. But I'm going to let Julie do it instead of you because yeah. I'm sick of you, you evaluating <laughs> Yeah, no, but I think that's... Um, like we do have to remember that for patients because that you know they have the ones that come in and be like it's almost like a confessional that like they start like dumping yeah. like what they haven't done because they're feeling so guilty so yeah. a lot of patients are walking already in with guilt of what they haven't done and they know they should but other stuff's going on and they haven't and it's a lot like you know we all talk about this a lot it's just actually being kind through those moments so that it yeah, doesn't yeah. feel like a a completely negative experience. Right. Well, then well, if you tie it back to disc, if you think about the, if you think about it from a disc perspective, if you have a patient who is an, an I or an S and they're emotional and what they want is a connection, they want a relationship with you. They want to feel, be able to feel vulnerable. They want to have trust. And an I especially wants to be like kind of part of the family you know, it's very important to them to be accepted in that way. To them, that's, uh, it's like being rejected. Yeah. Right. It's, they're not, they don't feel accepted. For someone who is maybe a D, they just feel challenged yeah. because a D does want to be, again, kind of control of their own destiny, be in charge, be the decision maker. So if you're just saying, you know, to them, all they're hearing is like, you're not doing what I want you to do when all they care about is ultimately doing what they they want oh, to do yeah. so you have to find yeah. a way to know that they're a d and then again you mentioned motivational interviewing another thing that i absolutely love and how do you find a way to motivate that d into it becoming their own decision their own internal drive to make that change because they're going to do it probably less if it's your idea <laughs> because it's they don't, they want to be in charge, not, not you. They don't want to give it over the control over to you. And then with a C it's really, it's not about those feelings of shame. They just really need that data. They need to understand more of the science behind it. I always notice the C's are the ones that want that percentage breakdown of bleeding. I was only at a 1% today, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was at a 20% last time, like mm -hmm. that type of information drives them regardless of the feelings behind it all or what, you know, how you're making them feel one way. You're probably not even affecting their feelings, to be honest. But if you can give them that data and that, that why behind making a change and help them from that capacity, but your, your eyes and your S's, oh, and we didn't really mention this, but if you think percentages, right? So D's are about 3% of the population. Really? There's not, there's not, there's not very many. There's not very many. 
Wow. We just gravitate towards each other, I think. <laughs> but if you think about D's primarily being in leadership roles, you know, your CEOs, your directors, your managers, your self-starters, your entrepreneurs, when you really think about that, there's not as many even opportunities for those roles as there are for collaborative or supportive roles when you think about just the workplace. So mm -hmm. it kind of makes sense, you know, from a demographic standpoint. Um, I's, well, S's are the most, 67% of people are S's. So most wow. people fall into that warm, calm, harmonious, avoid conflict, avoid change, unless it really makes sense to them. You know, all of those things that that's the bulk of our population. Those are also the people that are just going to nod along with you and then call back later and say they don't want to see <laughs> No, but not really you, Melissa, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I's are um, the next percentage up and then C's. So it's like the most common is S and then I and then C and then D. So we always kind of default to if you're unsure what your patient is like and you but you can tell that they have that feelings component, like likely they're going to fall into that S category. And you can kind of look at what they do for a living too. You know, if someone, it, or they're going to be very stressed. If someone's a high S and they're a C, CEO, that's probably not the best component. doesn't mean they can't get there and learn, you know, managerial strategies and things of that nature. But you can also kind of start to look into like, what does that person do? If you can't pinpoint their personality style, that's the one of the things I ask um, our team if they're like, I just can't figure out because we talk about this in the office all the time. I can't figure out what that new patient was. I just cannot. I'm like, well, what do they do? They're an accountant. And I'm like, hmm, well, vision, <laughs> you know, like very likely they would be satisfied by something that was attention to detail and yeah. very thoughtful and, you know, all those things. So like maybe they're a C and then we'll start to work through things they said during the appointment or other things throughout to kind of go like, oh yeah, I see where you're going with that. So it's something that if you incorporate it into the practice as a team and you can really bounce the ideas off of each other, it's kind of neat to, you can almost do it like the same way you do case studies. Yeah. And start to discern, you know, what people are, so what they're if, if someone wanted to, um, you know, start to really gain some knowledge and traction on this and, and get some training, where would you su suggest they go? So, I mean, I have to shout out to my friend, Corey, because she's where, you know, I've really developed from here. I mean, you can find a lot of it online. Just if you want to just preliminary, get a gist of what everyone is, just kind of search disc. There's actually a um, YouTube video that you guys have seen, I'm sure, because I have it in my presentations. But if you search um, disc personality and it's this really cute brunette and she does the best parody of disc styles in this YouTube video. It's hilarious. It. <laughs> it's so funny. It's a really great way for uh, your eyes and your S's especially <laughs> would enjoy it because it's, it's very interactive and fun. Um, but I, I just, I would encourage anyone to reach out. Corey did some training within our office. She's with custom dental solutions and she came into our practice and um, helped the team to review their assessments, their disc, their driving forces, um, how to communicate with each other. It was a day of basically like cultural development within the office. Yeah. Um, so that's a great resource. And I mean, if you seek the information, 
it's out there. Um, TTI is the group that I have my certifications through. And once you kind of work with them through things, they have an annual conference, which I'm hoping next year to be able to go to because I think I'd just geek out. You talk about that would probably be where I would my intellectual side would be filled because I just want to go. It's kind of like if you go to a party and you find an, you meet another dental hygienist and like you could just talk to them all night. As soon as I find someone who knows and understands anything about these concepts, it's like I will just sit and talk to you all night long. Like, <laughs> can we just just bring the bottle over here and we're just going to sit here and chat all night long. We're not so the yeah. information is definitely out there. Um, I mean, you can really just as basic as they have free assessments. They're not as detailed by any means, but you can find a free disc assessment online. Um, and then if you really find interest in it, I would encourage you to go further into something that's more yeah. detailed. Cause I mean, the assessments that we do are, I think 70 pages long or something crazy like that. So, wow. Wow. Do you have um, any courses or anything, any education coming up where you're kind of teaching something like this in the future? Oh goodness. That's great. So yes and no, I don't have anything on the books for sure, for sure. Um, but definitely I know we've been talking about um, trying to bring back the ICP program the in care implant care practitioner program. And through that I had, um, I'm hoping to bring some of that communication, motivational interviewing, OHI stuff back, which does incorporate DISC. How do we how do we help patients to want it for themselves more than we want it for them, which is like our our goal as hygienists. Um, and right now, I, I don't have anything scheduled. I've really been focusing on family. I think we all know this last couple of years has been kind of crazy, and it's slowing everything down has really given me a lot of perspective of being present with my kids and my family and seeing how quickly they're growing up. My 11 year old is five foot eight. You guys, she's almost as tall as me. And she's freaking me out that she's already walking through my house looking like a teenager. So I've kind of slowed things yeah. down a little bit with my, with my traveling and presenting and speaking at initiatives, just trying to kind of hone in on that a little bit more, but yeah, any, Hey, I'll put it out there. Anytime I get going with something, I'll put it out there. <laughs> awesome. Um, I think that it, it's a shame that we don't learn more about this through university because I think we'd have a, a lot more successful start out of the gate. Um, yes. If we did. I, I say to students all the time when I'm teaching at uni, I'm like, no patient knows whether you're a good dentist because I teach dentistry. And I'm like, but they do know if they like you and if you were kind yep. and if you communicated well. Um, I said, so if you don't learn how to communicate, if you don't learn how to explain this, it doesn't matter how technical you are. Right? Yep. I said, because it really true. break you as a, in, in a dental practice. If you if you walk in and you can't communicate at all, you're not going to succeed. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And your team is going to leave you. Yes. <laughs> and yes. you're going to have turnover yes. constantly. Yes. <laughs> That's what I find quite interesting about dental practices, though, because not all dentists are leaders, but a lot right. of them go into leadership positions when they own a practice. Right. And that's where a dental practice can be very interesting when you don't have a leader or you don't have someone that knows how to then delegate that to yep. someone else. And that's very interesting work. And delegate it to someone who can who has the skills and ability. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well. Or if you are the leader, <laughs> but you're not in that deci decision driven or, or able to make the decisions, yeah. then it starts to, you know, you as the leader, like, 
why am I even, this yeah. isn't working. This doesn't work for me. Yeah. Anymore. If, that's and a really I'm good point. And I know we're <laughs> getting close to the end. So like a really good point to kind of take away with is, you know, if you're someone who, cause I know we talked about me transitioning. I'm a, I'm a practice administrator now. I don't do clinical mm-hmm. hygiene anymore. And if you're someone who wants to have, you want to become like your hygiene, you know, manager within your office, or you're looking to transition into education, or you're looking to transition into something that is more of a leadership role within the office, treatment coordinator, the implant care coordinator, something of that nature. I would highly encourage you to explore these avenues because a doctor, and, and this is very generalized as well, but a lot of doctors, like you said, they don't like the leadership end or the business end. And it is very challenging to be the technician and the manager at the same time. So, you know, not to necessarily a fault of their own. That's a challenging thing for anyone to balance. If they're going to elect someone within the practice to move up into roles like that, similar to how I have, it's incredibly beneficial for you to have the information about how to communicate, how to, I will tell you that probably 30% of my role is literally conflict resolution between like team. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it, it is, yeah. and it's, and it's not um, ill-intended purse, you know, purposeful. It's these incidental things and conversations that occur that are literally just like style driven conflicts or not understanding where someone's coming from. Um, and that's a, a large component of what, as a practice administrator, I, I do. But I actually enjoy that a lot because it brings in like full circle of our conversation back to that mentoring side of things. Right. You know, when I have two hygienists that are in their 20s, they've been doing this for five or six years. They're starting to feel really confident and starting to feel really fulfilled in their role. I want to encourage that to continue and grow. And so if you start to have interpersonal conflict or you start to struggle with communicating with your patients, it's going to fizzle out. And so I really love being versed enough in all of this to be able to help them navigate those challenges with each other and with patients to continue to feel fulfilled and make plans and make goals for themselves to to keep moving forward in their profession. Because I, I want, I love hygiene. I know you guys love being dental hygienists. When I see people in the forums who are like, I'm just graduating. When I read in these, you know, forums, it makes me wonder, like, should I even be doing this? It breaks my heart because it doesn't have to be like that. But you do have to take onus and accountability of of stepping further. You get out of school. There's still more to learn. There's still more to develop. And as long as you're willing to do that and you can find people like you guys, um, I I the students that you guys have had through your programs at school when you were teaching are have, well, and I think you still are tapped though. Like I can't even imagine what they've gotten out of knowing you and having you as mentors. Like, I think that's huge for people to have someone to look to, to go like, I want to, I want to be able to have the success and the fulfillment that that person has and to see your fire and see how much you love it. It's very, very motivating. So kudos to you guys for, like passing that on to the next generation in this podcast. It's so fun. <laughs> well, well, I always say to my students, graduation is a license to go learn. Yeah. It is I love really, that. Like, honestly, when you get out and you realize what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It was really nothing that you learned. It feels like it was just such a small <laughs> part of the journey. At school. Like, it's so true. 
And and really, this is we're just giving you a license to be safe enough to go out there and and really start a, a lifelong learning journey. And you know, I think that continuing education is so important. And don't just hone in or don't just go to a conference and tick the boxes and just listen to anything. Don't just go online and yeah. do free online courses. Right. Like right. get in there and really look for things that inspire you and motivate you, things that you can implement. Yeah. I know people are in positions where you feel a little restricted on even going to courses. Cause you're like, I'm never going to be able to do that yeah. anyway. So why go learn it? But like, find the little things. There's something that you can integrate and implement, even though you're not responsible for making those changes, something within your day to day that, that you can do that changes things. Communication's an easy one. Yeah. You know, you're the only person in the room during that hour talking to that patient. So you have complete autonomy over that. And And you're worth it. You're worth it. You deserve it and you're worth it. And don't let the culture of a practice or somebody else's attitude make you believe any different. Yeah, absolutely. No. Know your truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to end our episode right there. Right? <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank Brenda, you. Yeah, thank you. So did you just notice all of us D's having a, a lot of feelings together just now? Go us. And then we're like, end it. <laughs> kind of yeah, they're like, good job. We're good job. too emotional to cut that off right now. <laughs> Before I start crying, let's move on. <laughs> That's so funny. I don't know. Thank you Lately, so much for having me, you guys. And it's oh so gosh, great thank and you. fun to see I mean, you both. I love you both so much. No, and this was awesome. Right back I'm at really you. grateful. Oh, and I'm FYI. Really ICP this year so we can all catch up. Yes, oh, yeah. Yes. I'm looking forward to that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, definitely. So once again, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you taking your time, uh, Miranda, for, you know, we start at 630 in the morning, BT dubs, yeah. just so you know, it's, <laughs> it's like midnight or one o'clock in the morning where she is. But thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to share your expertise and your knowledge. We really appreciate it. And thank you for listening to our podcast. We love um, every single one of you to hear your feedback, to know that you're laughing along with us and subscribing and giving us some feedback. So thank you again, uh, our disruptors, for all of your support. Until next time, keep on disrupting. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers, and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.